Welcome to the Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris. This is our second week in our message series entitled No Offense. And I was thinking about this this week, just about how we live without question in the most offendable times maybe in every human history. Uh, you think about it. It's so easy for people to, for whatever reasons, get offended by, um, man, any number of things. In fact, I was thinking about this, and one of the ways that you know we've become a society uh, that is easy to offend is through our vocabulary, through our language. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we, we're very politically correct today, and what that means is this. Politically correct is simply this, saying things uh, that are couched in such a way so that others would not be offended by those. And so there's a lot of things that we say today and that people are trying to steer us toward uh, with respect to our words, our vocabulary, and our language. I was I was looking through kind of a funny list, and, uh, and I can relate to this one. You know, you really don't need to call people bald. Uh, I'm bald. You should not call people bald because it's offensive to be called bald. No. What you have to say about those people is this, is that they're follically challenged, okay? So it just means that, you know, they don't, uh, they don't have hair. Um, I thought this was great because maybe some of you struggle in school or have struggled in school. They, they no longer need to say that you have failed. Um, that's a harsh term. We don't want to hurt somebody's self-esteem uh, and or, you know, perhaps their, uh, their future in academia. So if a person is failing... Uh, what you need to say about them is simply this. They are passing impaired, right? They're, they're passing impaired. Isn't it funny, though, how really and truly, when you look back in, at, at our world, there's things we said that 20 years ago, we probably shouldn't have said then, but we certainly don't say now. Why? Because we live in a time where people get so easily offended and people are so politically correct. There's another reason that people get offended in our time. It's not just because of this thing of, of political correctness. It finds its origin in the fact that we've become a post-truth culture. In fact, when you become a post-truth culture, anything goes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Bible when it talks about how uh, that there was a day in the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's really where we live today. Yeah, post-truth culture says this, that truth is relative. That if, if it's true for you, that can be true for you. This can be true for me. We can both be right. And we know that's fundamentally flawed because there's just most of the time we're talking about that has to do with our morality or the way we want to live our individual freedoms out because we all believe in absolute truth and just some of the essentials, you know? I mean, two plus two is four. It's always been four, always be four. And uh, you can say it's five, but you'll be wrong. It's always four. But here's how this translates. I think even among Christians, this is why we get so offended today. Um, I was talking to someone not long ago, having a conversation, and I was talking about a, a, a certain situation, and it was a little bit of a you know a tense conversation. And at the end of it, the person looked at me and said, well, thank you for telling me your version of the truth. And I was like, no, see, there's just the truth. There's not a version of the truth. There's just truth. And that's where we find ourselves today. I was reading not too long ago a, a story in Atlantic Magazine. It was talking about how politics has now replaced religion. In fact, in our, in our culture, you do realize that between 1957 and 1998, about 70% of Americans were identified in a church of some kind. 
And uh, so were they Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic, whatever they were, 70% of America all went to a church where they learned about Jesus. Now, with their own faith traditions, maybe a little bit of a nuance, but essentially they were talking about Jesus. But by the year 1998, uh, church attendance had dropped to 50% of our membership, not attendance, membership by 50%. And in the last 20 years, something fascinating has happened. The rise of a category of people called the nuns have emerged. And so we have more agnostics, we have more atheists, we have more people who would say that they are secular humanists today more than ever. And so what's happened is this. Because people naturally uh, are passionate about things, naturally they take up causes, naturally uh, they, God has placed in them this, this, this timelessness, this, this biggerness, this, this, this seeking transcendence. What's happened is this. People have now uh, taken up the cause of nationalism through political parties. And so the fervor that was once given to Christ the fervor that once actually made us more unified as a nation because we all believed in Jesus and we may have expressed it a little bit different on Sundays, but on Mondays we believed in the same kind of core values. We believed in the truths of the Bible. And so now we find ourselves where we are. And here's what's crazy. As Christians, it's easy for us to get offended a lot of times at non-Christians. And yet I would say to you, you know, lost people act lost. They always have, they always will. So how is it that you and I, as people who believe the truth of God's Word, as people who want to stand up for Christ in the culture, how is it that we, how are we going to be able to do that and live unoffendable lives? I want to jump back into a text that we, we looked at uh, one verse last week, but I want us to go to Ephesians 4, picking up verse uh, about 26 when it says this, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You may remember that verse from last week. You see, if you remember, this whole thing kind of germinates here toward the end in verse 31 when it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I talked about last week the root of bitterness. And when you kind of look at the daisy chain of those words, you realize that bitterness is this grudge. It's this this smoldering grudge. You know, I get offended about something. And Christians, we're some of the worst who get offended. And what happens is this, then wrath. That word wrath is a word where you get our word thermos. It's thermos. And so the, the heat of the emotions build. And so the root of bitterness now begins to sprout the shoot that then leads to anger. Anger is this deep feeling of resentment. And then clamor. This is when it goes public. This is when you start seeing the fruit. Uh, a public outburst, loss of control. So it's that moment where all those emotions, all that grudge, they finally work themselves out into the public and that says slander, which is the great Greek word blasphema, which is this ongoing defamation of somebody, and then malice, which is calculated evil with the intent to harm. And, and I would say to you, before we ever get to verse 31, you see there's some things that lead up to that. And so how are you and I going to 
uh, live unoffendable lives. I got one point to drive home with you, and it's simply this. And I'm challenging you with this, Christians, because I really believe that some of us are some of the easiest ones to offend in the world that there are today, and it's simply this. People live offended so they never have to be convicted. People live offended so they never have to be convicted. So how do we live unoffendable lives? I'm going to give you two things today. Here's the very first one. One, understand the danger of anger. Anger is a powerful emotion. In fact, I would even tell you this, that anger many times masks fear. Most of the time when a person gets really angry, you got to ask the question, what is it that you're afraid of behind that? Because a lot of times when we get offended, we're afraid that there's going to be a loss of power, loss of, there's change, there's, there's something that's going to impact our world. And it says right here in verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, I don't want to give the devil any opportunities in my life. And so what I have to understand is the power of anger, the danger of anger. Anger is a gateway drug to that root of bitterness. And so before you ever get to the root of bitterness, if you can stop anger, you can stop yourself from having all these other kinds of problems. And you can live unoffendable. You know, anger, um, it, it is, it's that gateway drug. I remember when I was growing up back in the 80s, uh, Nancy Reagan had this whole thing, just say no. And it was this whole deal about saying no to drugs. And the big, the big thing that was they went after was these big tobacco companies. Because back then, I mean, they were advertising on TV. They advertised all over NASCAR. They advertised on billboards throughout cities. I mean, they kind of glamorized it. And they realized something. They had to stop that. If they could stop tobacco sales to minors, that then it would stop their, their progressiveness into other forms of drugs. And I say this to you because that's what anger is. Anger is the gateway drug by which you and I slip into so many other things. And here's the worst part. We give the devil a foothold. That's what some translations say right there, not just an opportunity. That we give him a foothold into our lives. You know, anger by definition is this. It's, it's defending something or someone you love or believe in. Nothing wrong with that. You, in fact, you and I should be passionate I can promise you right now, if you try to do something to some member of my family, I am going to probably rise up in some anger. There's a distinction in that. You see, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. And there's a difference in anger and righteous indignation. You know, righteous indignation is a great thing. Righteous indignation is simply this. It's an indicator that you care about what God cares about. You know, if you see God's name being defiled, if you see his person being misrepresented, I mean, you and I, uh, man, we should step up in those moments. We should have some righteous indignation. Jesus had it. In fact, in John chapter 2, you may recall he goes into the temple, and one of his most famous acts is he cleanses the temple. And it says this in, in John 2, 14, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. I mean, now this is getting violent. I mean, he's taking belts. He's turning them into a whip. I mean, he's about to... He's, 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 he's about to, to, to go to town on these people. And he says this, and he drove them out of the temple, I mean, Indiana Jones style, and with the sheep and the oxen. And then he poured out the coins of the money changer and he overturned the tables. Here's why. Because people in that particular time were taking advantage of the poor and the foreigners who were coming into the city to buy sacrifices to sacrifice there at the Temple Mount. They were upcharging people. And they were also selling them at times defective animals. And so Jesus said, my father's name, my father's house, they're, they're being exploited, and this needs to change. And, and here's the thing, whenever you and I, 
Man, step up with some righteous indignation? I mean, that's amazing. That's awesome. However, let's be honest. That's most of the time not our problem. Most of the time, our anger comes from what? Man, we, we get offended about something. It has something to do with us personally. It has to do with something. Somebody slighted us. Somebody, somebody did something, said something, right? It has to do with, it's, it's very personal. It's really not Godward. It's very selfish most of the time. And you understand that that anger, that anger uh, gives the devil an opportunity in our lives. In fact, the anger is so dangerous. That's what it tells us that warning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if you know you're mad, like if you've got to struggle with somebody, you should work hard to get that resolved quickly. Why? Because at the end of the day, who of us wants to give the devil that kind of authority, that kind of power in our life? You know, it was the great theologian Yoda, you may have heard of him, who once said this, that anger is the path to the dark side. And it really is true. James 1, 19, 20 says it like this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every one of you be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry and slow to anger. For anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Righteousness, this is it means that I'm in right standing with God. And he gives us this warning right here. He says, let everybody be quick to hear. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. Uh, but I, I can be uh, kind of glib in my hearing. In fact, I can be slow to hear because sometimes I'm so offended that what's happening is this. While you're giving me your explanation of why you did whatever you did or didn't do what you're supposed to do, I'm already thinking about my response back to you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat there and while somebody is, is trying to communicate with you, you're already formulating a response. You're not listening to a word they say. You know why? You've taken up an offense. Uh, he says this, be be quick to hear, be slow to speak. Oh, isn't that amazing? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I've gotten in trouble a lot from my mouth. <laughs> in fact, there's sometimes words just coming out of my mouth like a burp. Like, well, how, I, I can't believe that happened. Why? Because sometimes we, we don't think before we speak. You know why? Because we want to get that barb in. We want to get that little shot in. We, we have the perfect comeback. And the reality is this, we're just taking up an offense. We're just, we're just letting the offense cause us to be angry. And then look at this, slow to anger. It says, well, I'd be slow to anger. And I'll just be candid with you. I mean, sometimes people cut me off in traffic, and I don't know about you. I just pretend like, I, I just, in that moment, just pray, oh, Lord Jesus, I wish my car had lasers because I would blow their car up, right? Or, or, or somebody, you know, says something or, or forgets something that, uh, that was important to me. You know, and I can't believe they slighted me. I can't. And here's the thing about it. I, I began to feel with anger. I was thinking about my son not long ago. Um, he's he's old now, but when he was a little boy, we were at this lock-in. And uh, man, lock-ins. I'm so glad I'm past that in my life. Amen. Anyway, if you have young children, I'll pray for you. It's rough. But I remember we were at this lock-in, and uh, they were playing dodgeball. My son was younger, and there were older kids. So it was like first to fourth grade. And he was like in first grade, and they're playing dodgeball, and they were fourth graders. So obviously they're stronger, faster, a little bit more developed. And this one boy threw a ball in the game, and he hit Rook, and he hit him in the head. Now I forget, Rook started crying. He was so upset about this. He was so mad. And I could just see it welling up in him. He just started, you could see he was offended. He was angry. I can't believe he hit me in the face. And they blow the whistle, and the game's over. And I'll never forget, Rook picked up a ball, and the kid was sitting on the ground, and Rook walked over to him, and he threw the ball right at the, I mean, point-blank range the kid's head. 
And he said, there you go. And then he sat down. And I was like, son, you know, you cannot. I mean, come on, you're, you know, you're the pastor's kid. Anyway, but uh, I was like, you can't do that. But here, isn't that like us? Like we want to get our justice. Like we want our pound of flesh. Like we want this person to feel some things. And I will say this. We want them to feel the hurt we've hurt. We live in a culture today, and some of you listening to this, you're addicted to rage. In fact, rage is one of those things that when it courses in our body, literally, it goes to our, 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 our amygdala, it goes to our, to the, uh, of our, of our brain, it's our fight or flight. And here's what happens. It, it just gets saturated uh, with hormones. And, and what happens is this. We eat this. We get this rush out of it. Like when you go off on somebody, you get this rush out of that. You get the. You feel big. You feel in control. And the thing that about that is, once you come off of that that high, that dopamine high, then what happens is this: for you to have to get back to that same level, you have to rage higher. You have to rage more. And as a result of that, you know, we just find ourselves. And these fits of rage, and here's what I can tell you, it is damaging to you. And quite frankly, quite frankly, man, it's giving the devil a foothold. That's why, you know, some of you, you know, you, you go to a church and, and they let you down and you just leave church. You know, Jesus must not be true. And the church is just full of hypocrites. Now you had a bad experience. And it's, it's not worth turning your back on. Some of us in our, in our church, I'll just, I'm just going to pick on you. Like you're in groups, and some of you, whether it be a friend group or a home group or a growth group, you don't really have a group that you're with. You just have a group of people that you're angry with all the time. And when you think about this, how our friends can foster this in us. And I'm telling you, the enemy is winning in so many of our lives. Why? Because we've bought into anger. You got to ask yourself this question on a scale of 1 to 10, how angry am I most of the time? Because I'm just telling you, there's, there are many people. And if you don't believe me, you got to ask some of your family. But some of your family will be afraid to respond to you. You know why? They're afraid you'll go off on them. Some of your friends are afraid to tell you the truth. You have to ask yourself the honest question. Have I been overcome with anger? You see, if you're going to live an undefendable life, you have to understand the danger of anger and how the enemy is using that in your life. See, some people always stay offended so I'll never get convicted. How do we live unoffendable lives? We understand the danger of anger. But here's the second thing. You choose to overlook an offense. You choose to overlook an offense. If you're going to live an offended life or not live an unoffended life, it is completely on you. In fact, Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Being offended is a choice. How you respond is completely on you. I want to give you four practicals to guide you as you choose to not be offended. And the first one is this. Um, choosing to overlook an offense is, means this. Deciding to make a difference, not just a point. It's deciding to make a difference, not just a point. Live in a culture where people just want to make a point, but they don't necessarily want to make a difference. Matthew 22, 37, 39, Jesus said this. A man came up to him one day, teacher of law. He wanted to know what the, great command, what the greatest of the commandments was. And he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. And this is what you got to pay attention to today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
if you and I are going to love our neighbors as ourselves, can I ask you this question? Is it even possible to do that when you're angry? Like, is it possible to love somebody when you are so mad at them? Hey, it's one thing to be angry for their good. That, man, you see them making a bad decision. You want to try to, um, you know, help them. You want to guide them back for that. But even in that, you understand, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance is what the Bible says. And so no one has ever been convinced to come to know Christ. No one has ever been converted to Christianity through screaming and yelling at them. It never has happened, not one time. And here's what I think is so great. Jesus has not called us to always just be right for people, like to always just make our point and, and just always decide we want to be the smartest kid in the room. What Jesus has called us to be is this. He's called us to be loving. When I think about the person of Jesus and all the people that he interacted with, and I think about the tax collectors, and I think about some of the people of ill repute, and I think about the people he fed, I think about how he went up against the Pharisees at various times. You know, I think to myself, what do people think about Jesus? I have a feeling, you know, Jesus could have had people think he was really smart. They could have thought he was a really great communicator. He was really powerful. I think what people really thought about Jesus when they left Jesus' presence was, that guy really loves me. That guy loves me. That guy, look, he wants to make a difference in my life, not just make a point in my life. And friend, if you would look around the world you live in, some of the people who, who, who you can't agree less with, and you start thinking, I want to make a difference in that person's life and not just make a point. I want to tell you something, you won't be offended anymore. Because you're going to realize something. There are just some people that, man, they didn't have the advantage of you do. We live in a culture that has literally shut the book, forgotten what the Bible is all about. How can you hold people uh, responsible for content they don't even know about? Here's the second thing. Um, we keep no record of wrongs. Keep no record of wrongs. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud, does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Did you hear that? It's not easily angered. And right behind that, it's coupled with, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know what's fascinating to me? Man, people today love to see the mighty fall. People love today to, to trash people to, in any way they possibly can. And it's so fascinating how we see it all the time. We'll take a clip from somebody in the past, something they said 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 20 years ago, and they will then say, well, this person said this, and you know, now this person ought to be disqualified from this office, or this person must be forced to step down. This person needs to make a public apology. And the thing I'd say about this, first off, it's hard to judge people today's, by today's standards for things they did in the past. It really is hard because it was different back then. But what about this? Don't people change? Like, have you ever changed? Like, have, are, are you the same person you were 10 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever it was? And, and here's one of the reasons why some of our relationships are so doomed, even in our homes, even in our own families, at the workplace, wherever. It's because this, we keep a record of wrongs. We, we, we Like, whenever some of you are fighting with your spouse, man, you're, you're talking about this, you're talking about that, and all of a sudden they just go back into the file and they pull out something that happened 12 years ago, and they say the phrase, they bring up the topic, they remind you of, and, some, and you do it to them as well, uh, of, of what they did wrong in the past. And let me tell you something, that's one reason why your 
not going to move very far forward with your relationships on any level if you're constantly bringing up what people have done wrong. You see, you're not offended if you'll just really and truly do what God does. You practice intentional amnesia. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah 43, 25? It's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Because I don't know about you, I've messed up and I've sinned and I've done things wrong. And I've asked God to forgive me. And as I've asked God to forgive me, this, this is what... Because sometimes I don't forgive myself that easy. But man, God, He forgives me. And, and this is what His promise is in Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And look at this. And I will not remember your sins. Is it because God can't remember your sins? Oh, God's God. He could, I mean, He's infinite. He, he, he could remember all of our sins. He could card catalog those back. He could alphabetize them. He could time, date, place those iniquities. But here's what He chooses to do. He chooses to forget. And if you want to live an unoffendable life, then I can tell you this, you are going to have to just get rid of your stack of, of evidence you have against people. And you're going to have to let them go free and here's what it's going to do. It's going to ultimately, it's going to benefit them, but it's, it's going to benefit you too. Because you know what's happening? You know what's making you hold on to those files? You know what's making you hold on to all that information? Anger. You see, um, there's a third thing you can do, and it's simply this. you got to lower your expectations of others. you got to lower your expectations of others. You know, the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3 about the last days. It says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that not describe the world in which you and I find ourselves in today? And, and, and you do realize it's a busted, broken world. And so many times when we turn on the television and we see people that are marching with a sign that maybe we don't agree with that organization or that group, or we see people that are, that are championing lifestyles that we think that are just, they're so outrageous and they're, and they're just, you know, they're an abomination. And, and I would say this, Sure, they are. But you do understand that lost people do act lost. And, and, and here's why I say this to you, because this lowering your expectations, if you lower your expectations on people, you, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. Hey, let me just tell you something. It's disappointing when we see our heroes fall. In fact, I've always, I've always said this. Don't ever put me on a pedestal. Okay, don't ever do that, because here's why. I'm a person. I will fail you. I, I tell that to my family. I tell that to... It, 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 it's not because I'm just trying to skate and get by with being irresponsible. It's just the reality of being human. And, and the, the reason some of your marriages are less than ideal today is because this, some of you have idealed your spouse, idealized your spouse and you're putting an expectation on them to meet something in you that only God can meet in you. And some of you, you had children. You thought, when I have these children, these children will be great. These children are going to satisfy these deep longings in me. And don't you understand something? Your children will never satisfy the longings that only God can put in you. Some of you, 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 you thought, well, it's going to be this boss and it's going to be this career path and, and I've, they've made me all these promises. Friend, you know, you'll be less offended when you lower your expectations on God 
and on, on, on people and you raise your expectations on what God wants to do in you. Because I'm going to promise you, he'll never let you down. You said there's a, there's a, the last thing we do if you want to live a life that's undefended, and it's this, it involves yanking the plank. You go, what do you mean by that? Yank the plank. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured you. And so there, there's a warning there about judging people. And, and, and let's just be candid. You know, one of the reasons we're offended is because we judge people. We judge people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. And he says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, some of us, we live offended. Why? So we never have to be convicted. And you realize that when you point that finger at somebody and you call out their iniquity, you call out what they've done wrong, and I can't believe you did this, you do realize when you point that finger this way, there are always three fingers that point back at you. And I'll just say this. One of the reasons I, I try to live an unoffended life is simply this, because I'm a work in progress. Like, I know that there's parts of my life that God still needs to get a hold of. And I'll just say this. I try to give grace because... I need grace. Like, I'm, I don't want to judge people harshly because, quite frankly, you know, I, I'm going to be judged by that same standard. Now, that doesn't mean that we lower God's standard. No, no, no. We don't get to lower God's standard. But it means this, that there is only one judge, and he is the judge. And so in love, I may try to correct people. In love, I may try to speak to somebody. But listen to me. I'm, i got to yank the plank out of my own eye. You know, there's this passage of Scripture in John chapter 8 where there's the Bible says this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. And it says that all of these um, accusers bring her out and they place her before Jesus. And they're all there and they all in their hands, they have stones in their hands. And they're ready to throw those stones. And you can imagine, they're so indignant, they're so angry because they told Jesus, the law of Moses said we should stone such a woman. Now notice, they didn't bring the guy, he's nowhere to be found in the story, but they have their stone there and, and here's this woman and it says that Jesus bends down, he writes in the dust. I've always sort of thought maybe he just wrote down the word stupid because this is just stupid. Like why are you bringing this naked woman to me early in the morning to... Um, pass judgment on her. And, and, and those, they, they stood there and they were so ready to throw that stone. They were so ready to throw that stone. Now, eventually, Jesus, can, they, they do get convicted and they walk away uh, from the group and it's just Jesus and the woman. And um, the, Jesus looks up and he says, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. And he says, go and sin no more, right? So it's not like he's saying, hey, keep, he, he, he wants her to quit and change her ways. But, but you know, I, I think today there's a lot of us that, because we know that story, we walk around and, and we're not going to throw our stone, but we're so offended we keep a stone. We have that stone with us. And, 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 and there's security in that stone because, see, I'm right. Like, just like those men, they were right. Like, that woman shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't do that. And it's not that I'm going to throw it, but it's, just, it's nice to have it 
Because if I need it, I'll, I'll throw it. And here's what needs to happen for some of you today. Because you walk around. Some of you don't just have a stone. Some of you have collected a bag of stones. And you've got them. And here's why. It's because you live offended. You know, next week I'm going to get into a message about, about what do you do when you really have to deal with an offense. Uh, something's been done to you. Uh, there's been a sin against you. But so many times of our, our offense has to do with people that are just out there. Not the people that live as closest to us. And so, friend, can I just challenge you with that, that, that message point of this morning? See, if you stay offended, you'll never be convicted. Could it be that the reason that you are always offended is because you don't want to be convicted? And let me just say this. That is symptomatic of the anger that has now taken hold of your life and the enemy has gotten a stronghold, has gotten a foothold in your life. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some of us just need to say to the Lord Jesus, I need you to take this anger from me. I want to pray a blessing to that end for you. Lord Jesus, for these that are listening, God, it's so easy to be offended. It's so easy to want to take up a cause. It's so easy for us to want to champion whatever our, the thing is we want to champion. And yet you've never called us to be angry people. You've called us to be loving people. You've called us to be people that would be self-examined and, and yank the plank from our own eyes. You've called us to be people that who are supposed to make a difference and not just a point. And you've called us to be people who keep no record of wrongs. God, I pray that you would do the deeper work in us so that in a world that desperately needs to know the truth of Jesus, it'd be, you would be clearly seen in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Until next time, God bless you.